Welcome everyone to a brand new series of motorsport podcasts. Many of you will have listened to our Engineering Formula One driver series with the likes of Patrick Head, Adrian Newey and Gordon Murray earlier this year. I'm delighted to bring you the next set of recordings. This time we turn our attention to the Scuderia, the Formula One team that's so famous it's simply referred to as the team. Founded in 1939 and a constant on the F1 grid since that first world championship in 1950, Ferrari is the team that every driver wants to race for. 221 pole positions, 253 fastest laps, 238 Grand Prix victories, and let's not forget the 16 Formula One World Championships. For all its success and wonderful history though, Ferrari has always been a tricky place to work. Many drivers have left or been unceremoniously kicked out after little more than a season. What is Ferrari like to drive for? And what of Enzo himself? In this series of podcasts, we speak to the men who know best, those lucky few who have driven for Ferrari during their Formula One careers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motorsport Podcast. We're joined today by Ivan Capelli for another one in our series of driving for Ferrari. We've got masses to talk about. Um, obviously, you guys will know about Ivan. Formula 3 champion, both Italian and European, won the Formula 3000 championship and then went into Formula 1, mostly driving for Leighton House and, of course, Ferrari. Ivan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, very kind of you to spare some time. I wanted to start by rewinding the clock um, to your very first Ferrari experience, because I think you went to Fiorano aged 11. It had quite a profound impact on your life. Uh, yeah, I had uh, a few uh, opportunities to go to Fiorano. Uh, the first one was actually in uh, 1984, when I met for the first time the Commendatore, because uh, the Italian press uh, uh, gave me uh, a, a, press, a prize uh, giving it. It was uh, called uh, uh, Tartaruga d'Oro, uh, Gold Tartu. That is the, uh, the, the symbol of uh, Tazio Nuvolari, as, as you know. And I was a very young guy. I was uh, driving in Formula 3. And I met uh, the Commendatore for the first time in my life, obviously. And it was a, a great honor, obviously, to be part of this uh, uh, lunch that usually had all the Italian journalists. Uh, it was an, uh, an excuse, basically, to stay with Ferrari and to have uh, the possibility to chat with him and put a lot of pressure on him, basically, by, by the journalists asking not really fair questions to, questions to, to the Commendatore. But, and there was a part of this uh, uh, event, and it was uh, extremely uh, emotional for me, obviously. And then, uh, then finally, in 1992, I went to, to the Ferrari team. I joined the team, and I had my first experience in, the, in Fiorano, when I tested the car for the first time, obviously, before the season. And did you go to Fiorano when you were aged, was it 11, with your father? Yes. Basically, I started my, my, my dream in, uh, in Fiorano at that stage because uh, my father was uh, producing the commercial uh, for Parmalat, one of the sponsors that uh, uh, was, sponsoring, was sponsoring a lot of uh, Formula One drivers, like... Uh, Niki Lauda, Claire Gazzoni, and uh, Brambilla, or other uh, drivers. 
and I was a, a young boy and uh, I went there for the first time because I was following my father because I was uh, in love with the, with the work that my father was doing, producing this, this commercial. And I had the opportunity uh, to smell for the first time uh, the, the perfume because this is the real perfume of the Formula One. You know, the fuel, the tires, uh, the, the, the special uh, perfume that we have in, in the paddock. And uh, I had uh, another big, very big experience because uh, the uh, chief mechanic of uh, Niki Lauda, Ermanno Cuoghi, he saw me in, on a side when, because uh, when I was there, my, my father was looking at me and I, I really understand very well when I had the, the possibility to get closer to the car and when it was too dangerous, obviously. And then the car was, was stopped because the mechanics, they were working on the car. And uh, Ermanno Cuoghi called me and he said, come here, come here, little chat, come here. And uh, he put me inside the car of uh, Niki Lauda, the 312 uh, uh, T, T2. And uh, for the first time I had uh, in front of me the steering wheel with the uh, Cavallino in, in the middle of the, of the steering wheel. And obviously it was uh, just uh, a flash. After that, I came back home and, and, and I forgot soccer. And I start to <laughs> and I start to to draw Formula One cars and then to to dream and uh, and yeah to dream uh, as a, as a driver yeah become a driver. You know, you know, Ferrari has this amazing kind of pull from around the world, and it has hugely dedicated fans. And every motorsport fan grows up with Ferrari. You know, the pinnacle of of motorsport in so many ways. Is that even stronger if you're Italian? Absolutely. It's stronger. Yeah. There is a, 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 a very famous sentence that uh, the Commendatore said uh, uh, several times during his face-to-face uh, uh, -face with, the, with, the, with the journalist or with the fan, saying that if a young boy is uh, drawing a Formula One car, this car absolutely will be red. Uh, and this is the, the, the reality. I mean, uh, if someone is actually drawing a Formula One car, a young boy is just drawing a, a red car because the Ferrari is uh, an icon in the, in the, in the motorsports world. Mm. And I wanted to just obviously talk about your time at Ferrari, but I think we, ca we can't just jump all those years and miss out Leighton House um, because you, you, know, you arrived in Formula One and you were still competing in Formula 3000 when you, when you started racing. In Formula One, but you were the bright young Italian star. You'd won these, you know, won these Formula Three championships, back to win the Formula Three Thousand Championship, um, and then Leighton House. And you know, everyone I've spoken to said, "God, his results in that Leighton House were amazing." Mm -hmm. But actually, if you look at the results all written down, the Leighton House car let you down a lot of the times. So you were, you had a lot of retirements. Um, having gone from winning these championships in the lower formula. Was that a very difficult thing to kind of get your head around when you knew the talent was there, but you just could not show it in that late house on most occasions? Well, we had the, 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 the best year, obviously, was the 1988, when we started with the car um, thrown by... Um, Adrian Newey. Adrian Newey. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we had the opportunity in 1988 and in 1989 to have... Uh, uh, the best uh, in uh, all the areas because Adrian was drawing the car, uh, 
Mario Ilian was uh, producing the, the engine because we had also a 10 cylinder uh, called uh, uh, Leighton House in 1989 and 90. Uh, so we have uh, all the, the, the possibility to really to become a, a big team. Unfortunately, after the season that was, as you said, uh, uh, really poor in terms of uh, reliability in 1989, uh, unfortunately, Adrian Newey uh, decided to leave the team. And uh, after that, uh, we had uh, some other engineers, good engineers like uh, Chris Murphy or... Uh, uh, but we didn't have the, the, the real, uh, let's say, uh, the real uh, spec of the car that could actually give me the opportunity uh, to reach uh, great level. We did some good uh, races, like, to, like in Portugal or in France, but it was just, uh, you know, uh, one, one during the year, not, uh, not consistently as, uh, at the top uh, as it should be. Mm. Yeah. And it was, it was later in the season in Japan where I think you were the first driver of a non-turbo car to lead a Grand Prix since 1983. Um, and that goes, I suppose, goes on to sort of Adrian Newey. And, you know, he was such a young designer and engineer at that stage of his career. You know, Leighton House has really, really sort of cut his teeth after IndyCar. Well, the, um, yeah, but he, but, yeah, but he was obviously, you could, I, I guess you could see as a driver how talented he was. Yes, because um, uh, from my point of view, Adrian is, uh, it was, and he, he is still the only uh, genius that there is in Formula One at the moment. Really? Yeah, because uh, he was uh, so uh, clever in, 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 in uh, interpreting the, the, the rules, obviously, in 1988. And uh, you could see in that car that the car was... Uh, uh, had a, a, a flow from the front to the rear, have this, uh, this design, uh, this concept that was uh, uh, extreme because uh, it was very, very hard for us, for example, for example to drive the car for myself and, and Maurizio Gugelmin because the, the cockpit was uh, so tight. We had a, a steering wheel that was uh, 25 centimeters of diameter. Uh, we didn't have the possibility to have... Uh, Mm, the, the, the footrest in, in the car. I mean, it was uh, was really uh, something difficult to to so, to survive in that uh, in that cockpit. But uh, <laughs> but the performance were really ext extraordinary. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I think it was the first, it maybe the first test or the first race that because the cockpit was so tight, you couldn't. There wasn't space for your knuckles either side of the steering wheel. So Adrian basically cut out the bodywork, and then uh, overnight basically put on these bulges so that you actually had yeah, space to it steer. Was, uh, it was related to the uh, gear lever because, yeah, uh, first of all, when I, when, I, when I test the car, uh, I tried the mock-up in England, in UK, and the mock-up, the wood mock-up was, uh, uh, was fair. It was, was fine. I mean, I could actually see it and, and, and find my position. Then when the, uh, <laughs> the real car came to Italy for the first test in, in Imola, uh, I sat in the car and then I couldn't actually uh, grab the, 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 gear, the gear lever. It was really impossible because I was touching the, the cock, the monocoque. And uh, then I asked to Adrian, Adrian, what, what we do? And he was thinking and said, yeah, okay, you stay in the car. And, and then they ask a mechanic to, uh, to take the, the gear lever. And they, I could hear in the back of the garage, 
some noise, then like uh, an hammer <laughs> banging on, on, on the gear lever. And then when he came back, he, had, he put the gear lever inside. The gear lever was actually bent to the front. <laughs> okay. And he said, can you, can you then uh, use the, the, the gear lever like this? And then I tried, and I tried to find a, a way to, to, to change the gears. And I said, well, I can try. I mean, okay, so go out and learn how to, to drive the car like this. This is how, how Adam was actually finding a, could find a solution for the gear lever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, many, many years ago, Motorsport did an article on reuniting Adrian Newey with that Leighton house and him driving it. I think it was at Silverstone. Yes, I saw and the video. Busted, yes. And he looked really squashed when he was... Very, and as he, as he put his sort of visor on, he said, I don't know what they're all complaining about, but he was, I mean, <laughs> he was squashed like but, that. But uh, we had a, we <laughs> also another experience. At the end of 1988, uh, after the whole season, hearing us, myself and Mauricio, complaining about the car, about the car and the cockpit, we were in uh, Vallelunga doing some uh, private tests, and then we were having a lunch between the morning and the afternoon. And during the lunch, uh, we say to, to, to Adrian, Adrian, the cockpit is real, really tight. For the next season car, you should find a way to, to give us a little bit more space. Because, uh, and he said, ah, it's not so very tight. Said, Look, you should try the car. <laughs> you try the car? Why not? And then in the afternoon, he borrowed uh, an overall from Mauricio, an helmet from me, and then the shoes and so on. And then he drove the car in, in Vallelunga, just obviously two free laps, very, very slow. And then he stopped and he said, you see, I can drive the car, so you can do the same. <laughs> Amazing. He, he is one of a kind, very much one of a kind. But yeah, that 88 absolutely. car, I think, was the best car you drove, wasn't it? In terms of, because I, I read somewhere that that was your favorite car. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. 1988 was a car that uh, gave us the opportunity really to fight against the, uh, the other Formula One car with the turbo engine, with actually 70, 80, or even 100 horsepower more than us. But because of the aerodynamics, because of the reaction that the car could have, we could really, really fight against them. And we, we did some uh, extremely, let's say, interesting races because uh, we were so, so quick. I mean, Mm. And then to, to move on to Ferrari, do you, do you remember that phone call from Ferrari to, to ask you to... Absolutely, because raise. I had already uh, a contract with uh, Scuderia Italia. My contract was already, uh, let's say, uh, alive with the, with the Scuderia that was using the 12-cylinder Ferrari engine for the season 1992. And so I went to Parma, to the Dallara team uh, manufacturer to, to, to try my, my seat, my Formula One car and my cockpit and so on. And then I was at home and I received a phone call from uh, uh, Mr. Lombardi, who was the uh, chief of the Reparto Corse of the Ferrari. And he said to me, look, uh, Mr. Capelli, do, would you like to, to join us in the next season, 1992? And I said, look, I have already a, a Dallara contract. I mean, I, I have already a, a Formula One car for next year. And I signed this contract already. And he said to me, no, no, for the contract, there is no problem. We can manage to, to find a solution with this Scuderia. But uh, would you like to come or not? He said, yeah, obviously, as an Italian to become a Ferrari driver, uh, I, I can actually walk to, to Maranello. <laughs> <laughs> 
to test the car. I mean, and, and so that was the call. Basically, without uh, knowing anything of the project of the 1992, without having talked to, to the engineers, I was completely blind on, on the solution of the, uh, or, or what they decided to, to, to put together for the 1992. I just signed the contract and I went uh, to, to Ferrari expecting, obviously, to have uh, a car competitive like the 1991, because the 1991 Ferrari was uh, re really competitive. Uh, I tried the car in, uh, in the winter uh, using that car in Barcelona, in, Barcelona, in, in Spain. And uh, I, I remember very well that uh, we, did, we broke the records of the, co of the circuit during the winter test with that car, the six, right. 641. And yeah. then when we move to the uh, 92, uh, was uh, unfortunately <laughs> what I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll come to that. We'll come to that in a bit. But I mean, you're, you know, as an Italian, as you know, you've been in Formula One for, you know, five, five or so years. It must have, when you put the phone down, it must have kind of what went through your head? Because you must have thought, I've, I've made it. I finally made it. Because whilst Leighton House was obviously, you got great results with them. You know, Ferrari is, is the ultimate, isn't it? Yeah, I can tell you a, a very nice story about that. Because uh, when we had the, the, the press release and the, the presentation of the drivers for the 1992, I drove my car from Milan to uh, Modena. And uh, a journalist of uh, the Autosprint magazine that probably you know it was, yeah. is one still the only uh, magazine that we have in Italy that is actually talking about motorsports. Uh, one of these journalists, Diego Forti, he, he came with me, basically. And we went from Milano to Modena. I was driving a car not of the Gruppo Fiat, another brand. <laughs> and I uh, was stopping uh, refueling the car near uh, Piacenza okay so at uh, let's say 8 o'clock in the morning I stopped I refueled the car we had a coffee I paid without any problem then we joined uh, Maranello we had the, the press conference so the two Ferrari drivers were announced for the 92 season myself and, and Gianalesi and then at the end of the day, because I didn't have any other uh, things to do in, uh, in Maranello, I came back to Milan, where I was living with my family. And the journalist came with me again. And for, uh, uh, let's say, a, a play of, of, uh, of the situation, I mean, we have to, to refuel again in the same, let's say, uh, petrol station that was facing the one of the morning. And when I stopped, so basically 12 hours of difference from morning to evening. I spent there nearly, what, maybe half an hour <laughs> to do, to refuel, because as soon as I start to refuel, uh, one guy recognized me, then he said, ah, oh, one photo there, one photo there, and then he, he came all the friends, oh, come here, there's the new Ferrari driver. So my life actually changed from the morning to the evening. <laughs> I was not able to walk anymore even in, in Milan, because it was really... Uh, crazy it's amazing isn't it i mean it's it's just instant um Absolutely. and i suppose you get you get the other side of it though don't you because the italian press has always you know has always been quite 
to harsh on Ferrari if there is a problem or this, and actually they can be very very difficult for the drivers as well. So I suppose that you know your your petrol station story is just is the wonderful side of driving for Ferrari and being Italian. Yeah. But there's the negative side, isn't there? And you, I mean, you suffered from that, especially before. I think it was Monte Carlo. Yes, because uh, it was a, a, a very strange situation. Uh, for sure, the, the, the Italian press was putting a lot of pressure on me, on the Ferrari team, everybody, because uh, uh, the results were not uh, satisfying. Uh, anybody and, and so we, we were really had uh, a real problem but in Monte Carlo I remember very well that the press came out with a very funny story that were saying that uh, I had a particular disease that is the uh, Mediterranean uh, anemia anemia uh, I yeah. think yeah. And, uh, and and then I realized in that moment that uh, I, I didn't have uh, nobody that could actually help me inside the Ferrari structure because uh, no one of the staff or, 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 or even the president, uh, uh, let's say that uh, uh, take, took my, 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 my side and I created the opportunity to, in a sort of way, to, to defend my, my position, okay? So I was just released in front of the press without uh, any support from uh, from the the management the ferrari management and in that moment i realized that i was completely alone in, in that team and i couldn't find a way to uh, really to, to 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 turn over my my my, my season because uh, it was a clear message that uh, something was already uh, had been the, already decided in terms yeah. of uh, uh, my 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 career in 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 ferrari yeah it's it's funny that because obviously we for for this series we've been talking to quite a lot of formula one ferrari drivers and you do get the impression that actually the kind of the support around the drivers and i I don't know if this is still true i don't think it is but it was very much lacking or was that a formula one kind of wide problem or was that more ferrari that didn't support its drivers if times were tough because i think you had to take the blame once when there was suspension failure and you had to take the blame for that for the for you know for the good of the team yeah yeah we had a lot of uh, a lot of critical situation regarding the reliability uh, of the car not just to finish the race but uh, for, for safety reasons let's say and in in in, uh, in some situation it was really really critical but uh, uh, and as you said, uh, I, I took the blame for, for the for the mistake that we that I was doing behind the steering wheel. Uh, even if behind that it was a, a, a bigger problem regarding the car and the reliability of the car. But uh, let's say that to stay in Ferrari, there is a, a, a mixture of, of situation that must create the, the opportunity to to. In some, in some, let's say that you have to survive because uh, you have the pressure from the from the press, you have the pressure from uh, the, the management, the technician, and so on. Uh, the pressure from from all the people around you because they say uh, the, 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 the say the the possibility of the life to become uh, uh, someone that uh, really could make a, the, the difference in the history of, of a 
of a legend because Ferrari is, is a legend. Uh, and uh, all this mixture is creating, if you're not strong enough or if you're not, uh, let's say, prepared to that, it's really difficult to, to, to manage it. Yeah. And when you, when you first tested that 92 car, how quickly did you know that you were going to have a really tough season? Immediately, because a Formula One driver or a, a talented driver can realize immediately if the car is a good one or not. Uh, to make an, ex an example, when they did the first uh, five laps of the Leighton House 1988, immediately I realized that the car was uh, a good car. It's true that it was coming from the 1987, that there was a, a Formula 3000 <laughs> modified just to participate in Formula 1. But having said that, immediately you could feel in the steering wheel that the, the, the grip was there. At the same time, when I was driving the, for the first time in 1992 in, in Portugal, uh, I realized that uh, what we were expecting from the double flat bottom, uh, the front suspension and so on, uh, it was not working and not giving the extra downforce that we were expecting. And at the first uh, uh, meeting with the, with the engineers, I had uh, one side of, of, of the team saying, ah, this car is, is brilliant. This car, with this car, we can win races or even competing for the championship. And on the, on the other side of the table, with the, let's say my side, I was looking at the time and were saying, look, but the Williams team with the uh, electronic suspension is nearly one second, one second and a half quicker than us every single lap. How we can compete? Uh, I mean, we should work a lot to get uh, this limit and, and, and to, to, to modify our car or to find the, the, right, the, the right setup. And this was actually uh, understood like uh, Luce saying that the car was... Uh, not good enough for what was uh, basically uh, a track, like uh, Alan Prost said uh, the year before, no? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and immediately the engineers were listening more on the good side of the table instead of understanding that it was uh, criticized the, the, the car, but not because it was uh, uh, saying that it was a completely uh, a disaster, but, we had to, but because we had to work a lot to get this car uh, competitive. Do you, do you think it was the situation was almost made worse by the competitiveness of the FW14B, the 92 Williams car, which was just so, so quick. And actually, if you took that out of the equation, it would have been a lot less painful a year. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that car was so quick um, that I guess it probably made your situation worse. Ah, we had a lot of car in front of us, not just the Williams, <laughs> we had the yeah. Benetton. <laughs> The Benetton yeah. as well, they were quicker than us with the Ford uh, 8-cylinder. Uh, then sometimes the McLaren, obviously, they were sometimes quicker, quicker than us. Uh, I mean, we were competing with, uh, with a lot of team, a lot of drivers. Uh, more or less the situation that they have uh, uh, in Ferrari now, I mean, in, in, during this year, having not, yeah. not being just the second but even the third or the, or the fourth team of, of, of the grid. And this yeah. is making, uh, uh, also because uh, I must say that, uh, for example, in 1992, the car was, was designed to use the transversal gearbox. But inside the Ferrari team, we had just 
two gearbox working properly. And these two gearbox were actually, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. These two gearbox were actually uh, the supplied to, to Jean and Alesi, who was actually recognized as a, as a first driver. So my car, for the first uh, seven races, we use the 91 uh, back of the car, suspension, longitudinal gearbox, with a different uh, aerodynamic package as well. And so for the first seven races, we had two different cars in, inside the Ferrari team, but obviously uh, no one is actually remembering this, this situation that we had. And when I was uh, closer to Jean, like in Imola, when we were seventh and, and eighth, I think, on, on, on the grid, because we had in front of us the two Williams, the two uh, Benettons, the two McLaren, and so on. When the engineers were reading the, the, the performance, they said, ah, Capelli is near Alizy. That means that Alizy didn't use the car properly. It should, be, it should have been two or three places in front of him. Uh, so not recognizing that with the different cars, I was actually matching the performance of Alizy, of Alizy because I was actually pushing 120% over the top of, yeah. of, uh, of the limit. And, uh, you know, obviously there are lots of low points from that year, but there must have, in amongst everything that was going on, were there, are there moments you look back on with fondness? I mean, driving a Ferrari at Imola in front of Italian fans as an Italian must have been, you know, despite the car not performing as you wanted it to, it must have been a wonderful moment, surely. All the moments that, uh, that I had with the Ferrari in that, in that year were, were fantastic everywhere. Because... Mm. Uh, as you said at the beginning, uh, there are 20 Ferrari, 20, at the moment, in that, in that period, we had the 24, even more Formula One drivers participating to the championship. But that just two are the Ferrari driver. And, and, and worldwide, everybody is actually remembering or in that year is knowing that one of the two is Capelli or Alesi or, or basically knowing the two Ferrari drivers, the name of the two Ferrari drivers. So this is the difference inside the, the Formula One. Why the Ferrari is so uh, well-known and obviously uh, so magic to compete for, for, for that team. Yeah. Have you had to buy a drink in Italy since that 1992 season? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Now, if you're looking for more Ferrari content, then you may well be interested in Motorsport's latest publication. Ferrari, from race to road, celebrates the journey of the world's most famous car brand and its unique place in motor racing history. Using Motorsport's unmatched archive of stories and photographs, we trace the Ferrari story from its early days under Enzo, right up to date with interviews with current F1 star Charles Leclerc and F1 team boss, Mattia Binotto. Along the way, we celebrate some of the all-time classic race cars, including the wonderful 1975 312T, and races such as the Targa Florio. Plus, we test some of the greatest Ferrari road cars. Illustrated with world-class photographs and wonderful writing, Ferrari from race to road is a must-have for all fans of the mark. It's on sale now in all good news agents, or you can buy it via the Motorsport website, which is motorsportmagazine.com.
that year I, I basically I, I was doing it sort of research and things and I was looking at some of the things that you said yes in that 1992 year and I've got, I've got something you basically the, the kind of words so much pressure uh you reached your limit um and really there was a lack of concentration do you think I mean it would have broken so many drivers Is, do you think it was Ferrari that kind of broke you psychologically do you think and the performance of that car and all the pol politics in the background uh for sure, I had a, a different experience uh, with the Leyton House team. Um, I had uh, five years with uh, the Leyton House team, four years with uh, Gujelmin, my teammate, and we were sharing everything, all the information, all the uh, uh, critical moment, but also the the, the enthusiasm of, of participating in Formula One with a little team that actually was pushing to, to reach uh, good performance. Without any politics inside the team, I mean, if, if I had something in, uh, technical uh, that I had to share with Morris, it was uh, ready for him. I mean, it was not uh, uh, nothing that to, 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 to hide or to, to be jealous of. In Ferrari, I learned immediately that um, even talking to people was creating uh, some uh, uh, critical and, 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 and yeah, critical situations because uh, you couldn't speak a lot too much with the with the engineers of Jean because then the other one was jealous because you were talking about uh, uh, or talking to to this guy, and then I learned that. Uh, having uh, the car that was not performing well, then the uh, engineers from the engine, uh, they were complaining about the aerodynamics, but the aerodynamics people complained about the engine. And so you have to, to create uh, or to be careful of what's saying, what you have to, to say during the, the, the meeting, the technical meeting. Uh, it was really... Uh, a completely different world and probably uh, having my my attitude my natural attitude it, it is not uh, so political uh, i was not uh, ready to to fight and 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 to be part of this kind of uh, mentality yeah now i for all you listening and and watching um the one of the great pieces actually that you did with motorsports the motorsport used to do a series called the worst car i drove um in the series there's loads of different cars mentioned very very few people talk about a ferrari formula one car but <laughs> ivan obviously quite rightly says the worst car i drove um was was that 92 formula one car uh, but you can find that on the archive online so do have a read because it's, it's a wonderful piece um mm -hmm. and while you're on there look at the shop because there's loads of Ferrari uh, memorabilia and, um, and, and bits and pieces on there. Uh, I've got loads of questions here, Ivan, and I, I usually always get told off because I get carried away chatting and mm -hmm. forget to ask readers questions. Um, so, uh, yes, there's, uh, this is going sort of back, back to when you first started in Formula One um, for, uh, from the old Autosports, which I think is a Twitter account. Um, and they are asking, was it a kicker not to get a full-time drive in Formula One after your stellar drives for Tyrrell back in 85? Were there any offers on the table? I guess they're talking about 86. Um, first of all, I, I must say that uh, I was, and I, I am, 
really grateful of uh, what Mr. Tyrrell did for me because uh, he, he asked me to drive uh, in Bransach and in Adelaide without uh, actually bringing any money to the team. I was just uh, paying my, my expenses, travel expenses and so on. Um, and without that opportunity, probably uh, it was, I could have had a, a more difficult uh, time, let's say, um, to find the, the way to, to the Formula One. Uh, but Tyrrell gave me the opportunity really to drive and to show at the second race that I was able to, to finish in the points, even if uh, <laughs> the car was, uh, uh, again, very difficult to drive in comparison to the others. Then we talked with, the, with Tyrrell, but we couldn't manage to find a, a solution because for 1986, he was asking a support from, from the sponsors. And uh, at the time, I didn't have enough money to, to, to join uh, the Tyrrell team, basically, because uh, as usual, uh, you need to, to arrive in Formula One or it was like that at, at the time, to, to, arrive, to arrive in a team and to have the opportunity you know, to support the team a little bit with the sponsors, with the money. Yeah. Well, it's, it's still the same, same now, really, isn't it, for, for some of the grid? Yeah, it's actually a little more, a little more complicated because now they are actually buying teams to, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to let the, the, the son uh, drive in Formula One. I mean, it's a little... My, my father couldn't uh, <laughs> no, actually. I don't think anyone could really <laughs> very very few but I'd, I've always someone said to me the other day it's, well this is a few years ago they said do you think anyone would have believed you back in the 70s that there would be a drinks company that owned a Formula One team and it was sponsored by a car manufacturer i.e. Red Bull and Aston Martin I mean it's, you know the world is kind of upside down now yeah for sure I mean <laughs> yeah. uh, it's also true that uh, when I arrived in Japan for the first time in 1986, when I drove for Leighton House in the Formula 2, I, was, I had to, to, to wait uh, to arrive in the, at the hotel to inform my mother that I was safe and I was uh, uh, arriving in Japan and, and everything uh, was ready. Now, as you know, you are in the, in, the, in the finger exiting for the airplane and you're using with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No so, escape. Yeah, um, I'll just, go, I'll just get, get through a few more readers' questions before we go sort of back to Ferrari. Um, one from Ed Spencer that is an interesting question. Um, he's asking when the first signs were that your relationship was with Ferrari was in trouble. You know, obviously we talked about you testing the car and realizing straight away that the car wasn't good. But when, when did you think that the relationship was in trouble? Well, as I said, already in Monaco, I had this kind of uh, feeling when uh, they didn't support me in this uh, situation that the, the press, uh, also because we, we couldn't find from, from where this, uh, this uh, news came out. I mean, I was uh, absolutely fit, but uh, for some reason, this, uh, this uh, information came out from... Uh, uh, and, and, and we couldn't find who actually uh, gave this, uh, this news to the, to, the, to the magazines, to the Gazzetta dello Sport, uh, that is the most important uh, sport magazine in, in Italy. And then from there, uh, also other different signals that gave me the, 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 the opportunity to understand that there was a, 
already already out. Uh, for example, another thing that is uh, absolutely, uh, let's say, unbelievable is that I met for the first time the engineer who was uh, following my car on the airplane going to uh, the first race in South Africa. That's, that's something that is unreal for a Formula One team. But uh, I met Gianfranco Fantuzzi, who was uh, my uh, race engineer, uh, really on the airplane from Milan to uh, Kayalami. And because before I was working with different, different engineers, Lunetta, uh, Mr. Lunetta, then uh, Postel White was there. And then they, they couldn't find an engineer for me. And then I, uh, I met this guy and he said, look, okay, where are you come, what have you done since yesterday? I mean, and he said to me, look, I was, I'm working in the uh, experience department of the normal road car. And he, he, went, he went to the truck just, uh, just a few times uh, supporting the test team. And when we arrived at Kayalami, something that was a real, a real joke, is that uh, um, we went to the, to, the, to the pit wall and Fantuzzi was looking like this, no? And they said, Gianfranco? He said, yes, what? We are actually coming from that side and we are going in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just to, to let you again understand how uh, unreal was the situation of the 1992 because yeah. I met the, the engineer in the airplane and we started to discuss about the setup in the airplane for the first race. Yeah. The, obviously, you know, Enzo had had died a few years before. Do you think that contributed to some of Ferrari's struggles then, or or do you think he was kind of he had taken a step back, you know, well before he died? Was it was it difficult not having that very famous figurehead? Oh, obviously, it was uh, probably uh, not. Let's say. Uh, how to say? I think that Mr. Mr. Ferrari, the commendatore, was always updated about the, 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 the team situation. Uh, not being involved completely, in, let's say, running the team probably at the circuit was making in that period a big difference because uh, technology, the telemetry was starting to be involved in Formula One, computers and so on. Probably I don't know how much Obviously, the commendatore was uh, uh, ready to, 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 to understand all, all this. Uh, but for sure, when, in, until the last day, he was uh, giving his input and his idea uh, or his decision to, to, to the team. Uh, I remember very well uh, that uh, when I arrived in Formula One in 1987 and before, 86 and 85 with Tyrrell, uh, Michele Alboreto was already driving for, for Ferrari. And uh, I remember very well, he spent five years, Michele, in, 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 Ferrari, in the Ferrari team. And I remember very well how much was the pressure on him and the uh, Ferrari team uh, from, from the Italian press. But also remember very well how much uh, Ferrari was uh, defending the, the position of, of Michele. Mm. Uh, actually, 
defending his work. And, and this could actually happen because Ferrari was there and, and, and Michele was uh, his choice, basically. Yeah. And so, and I think that after the, the death of, of uh, the Commendatore in 1988, the, 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 again, the mixture between the power of uh, Fiat in Torino, Maranello in Modena with the, with the team, uh, the, the road car that uh, in that 1992, 1993, I remember very well also how many cars, normal cars, Ferrari had parked outside the, 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 the factory waiting for, a, for, a, for an owner because uh, they, they couldn't sell cars because really? the cars were, were not uh, uh, so appreciated like now, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So also that, we have to, to understand that also in that period, we, we had all, all that problem that, uh, with the, 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 the car that was uh, really difficult to, to sell. So all the situation was in, in, in a critical uh, relationship between Torino and Modena. Yeah. There's a question here from, um, from Chris, uh, sort of a, a technical one about the problems of the 92 car. Um, He's saying, Jean Alessia said that the F92A problem was actually that the 92 V12 suffered with blow by and lacked power, and the chassis wasn't so terrible. The car was slow in a straight line in 92, but the chassis was always blamed. Can you confirm that the 92 engine was weak, as I've long suspected? That's from Chris. Well, the engine was not, uh, uh, for sure, uh, a, strong, uh, a strong part of, of the car. Uh, it's true that during the year we had to uh, decrease uh, uh, the limit of the revs to get the engine uh, a little bit more reliable. I remember very well also that in uh, Mexico, for example, I did uh, Friday and Saturday nearly 12 or 14 laps because every time that I was going out, I had a problem with the engine that blew, blew up, basically. And uh, that, that was a particular moment of, of the season. But it's also true that, for example, the, the front suspension with the monoshock uh, couldn't give us any, any support because we had to, to really to, to, to lock the, the, the front uh, um, roll bar that was actually designed with the Belleville uh, uh, system. Uh, it was a solid, solid front and the car was jumping on, on the circuit. Um, Jean could actually probably drive the car because he was uh, uh, pointing the car a lot with the front uh, and, and, and producing a lot of grip using the front wing like, uh, <laughs> it's a... Uh, Snowplow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and for, my, for my driving style, that was, uh, was impossible. Uh, and, and probably he could manage to do some... Uh, some good results because of that. But the car was, uh, for the front suspension, uh, the, as we say, the engine, I was using the longitudinal gearbox. Uh, uh, we also tried in, uh, in Silverstone during the, uh, the Foca test, uh, Postelweiss uh, designed a, a, a side pods that could close the, 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 basically the double flat bottom to have just a normal, normal uh, uh, side pods uh, without uh, the double fed bottom and to understand if this could actually 
create the opportunity to, to have a, a quicker car on the straight line, it was just the same. So, yeah. Um, right, I'll take one more, one more reader question. Um, and then I want to talk about Ferrari now, just, just before we wrap up. Um, this one's from Adrian King. So I think it's probably going to be quite a quick answer. Um, please, can you ask Ivan how he came to join the team? Was his position secured before or after Prost had been dismissed? After Prost. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Well, Adrian, I, I, that's, I think, is um, the most succinct an accurate answer you will you will get i just before we finish i I wanted to talk about ferrari now because you know in in some ways there are mirrors you know yes there's ferrari are getting better results this this year than they did in 92 but um it's funny isn't it ferrari has these years and these periods where despite the incredible success the team has had you know whether that's michael schumacher jody schechter kibby reichen in 2007 fighting for almost every world championship you know, in, in the 2000s. Um, and then they have a season like 2020. What's, what's happened there? What, why does this happen? Well, let's say that we have to, to analyze uh, the situation uh, in two, two, three years ago when uh, uh, President Marchionne decided to give the opportunity to the internal engineers to uh, actually to make a step forward and to become the first line of, uh, of engineers that uh, could actually uh, design, think and design the, the new cars. And they think that they did a good job. I mean, until uh, last year, the car was uh, really competitive. Uh, then we have a mixture of, uh, or, or a, a cross of uh, things that actually must be uh, underlined. For sure, the fact that uh, uh, FIA found a, a, a direct, uh, uh, let's say, agreement with Ferrari regarding the engine uh, of uh, 2019 is showing that uh, last year probably they they were doing something at the limit or over the limit because it's impossible that in in, in one year the engine can can lose uh, all this power and this is actually showed also by the other teams that are using the Ferrari engine, like us and, and Alfa Romeo, they are behind. While last year, as you know, as you remember, they were competing with the, with the other teams or even, let's say, closer to the, to the, to the front. Uh, so that's one point. And the second one is that probably the engineers that used to draw, to draw the car in 2018 and 2019, uh, they they have lost uh, uh, the, the the clue of uh, of the design, and they don't have any more uh, solutions to to the fact that the, the car is is wrong. Uh, I remember very well in the 80s when in in England uh, the English team they were uh, competing and they had uh, uh, an overall let's say. Uh, good situation in comparison to Ferrari, Ligier, uh, or other teams that actually Minardi that were staying, let's say, in, in, in this country. Because uh, um, in England, a lot of mechanics, a lot of engineers were changing teams during the season and, and, and bring up the quality, the know-how, sharing the know-how of the technology with uh, a lot of teams, uh, between teams. Uh, Ferrari, this year, in these two years, 
they, they closed completely their, their, their team to, to the external uh, influence. And, and probably they need today someone that is coming from a, a big team, giving them the opportunity to open their mind and to find uh, uh, new ideas, a new way to understand and to analyze the problem that they, that they have in order to find the solution or to create uh, the new project of uh, 2022. Uh, I think that they, they, they lost the, the opportunity uh, to have this uh, contribution for the, for the other teams and this created the situation that they have now. The car yeah. is always the same. They, uh, I remember very well two years ago when we were, uh, I was commentating for the Formula One um, for the Rai, the Formula One, sorry, for the Italian television. I remember very well that uh, <clears throat> uh, the comparison between Mercedes and Ferrari. Mercedes, they were arriving at the circuit on Friday and the setup was nearly there. They had to change just a few things. And Ferrari sometimes, even two years ago, they were completely lost. I remember that they were one second and a half or even more. Uh, lost from, from, from the Mercedes uh, uh, performance. And then they were working hard and hard during, during the, the, the night and the morning with the, with the simulator in, in Modena. And then for some reason on Saturday afternoon, they were competing, they're very, very close to, to the Mercedes. But they were always running behind, not uh, like, uh, as you said, in the, the Schumacher era or uh, in, uh, even uh, in other situations where the Ferrari was leading the technical uh, situation and other teams, they were following uh, Ferrari because they, they, were, they were performing uh, absolutely well. I mean, they, they, they need now someone like, uh, for example, I know that is impossible, but like uh, Adrian Newey that is coming to Ferrari and say, look, okay, you have done Formula One until now, uh, until today in this, uh, in this way, yeah. On tomorrow, we have to do this way and yeah. change. So it's interesting you mentioned about Ferrari bringing up their younger engineers and, and promoting from within. And it's something that Derek Bell pointed out. And I know that he's obviously been out of the, of the sport for, you know, or Formula One, you know, obviously for a lot longer. Um, but he said, you know, in some ways, Ferrari is too Italian. And actually, you know, if you look back at their most successful era with, the, you know, Schumacher, there was Jean Todd, there was Schumacher, a German, Jean Todd, a Frenchman, and... Ross Braun, an Englishman. I don't think it matters where they're Ro from. Rory Byrne. Don't forget yeah. Rory Byrne yeah. that was uh, the chief designer of, of the car. I mean, uh, again, you said an example, a perfect example that how they, they start to change the team is with new people and they, they, need, they need five years to, to, to reach, let's say, a situation where they were the leader of, of, uh, of the paddock and, and the pit yeah. lane. Well, the great thing about Ferrari, though, is that it's always number one in most motorsport fans' hearts, isn't it? It is, it is the team, whether they're kind of winning or losing. The Ferrari, Ferrari will always be Ferrari. Uh, another example of my, <laughs> of my experience. Uh, I've spent just one year, as you know, with the Ferrari team, but this gave me the opportunity to work for 20 years for the Italian television to commentate uh, the Formula One, because it was in that period a Ferrari driver. Uh, today, uh, or when you are, when you uh, you become a Ferrari driver, 
you are a Ferrari driver for for the life. Yeah. That's that's uh, and even today is uh, extraordinary that uh, I'm going maybe to a restaurant in Milan or even around the world. And when there is a, a motorsport fan, uh, they are coming to me and, and they remember, even if I had just one year with poor performance, but I, they remember that uh, I was a Ferrari driver. Yeah. Well, Ivan, what a wonderful note to end on. Um, I cannot thank you enough for sparing so much time. It's been great talking to you. Um, and thank you to all of you who are watching and listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll be back again soon. Thank you very much.